It's a rainy grey day. Your alarm clock wakes you when it's still dark outside. You grab a sad excuse for breakfast before catching the crowded commuter train to work. The city is waking up around you, but the weather report is just as depressing as the look of your fellow commuters. Do you recognize yourself? Maybe. This is, after all, the reality of oh so many people around the world. But imagine that the work that you arrive at makes you forget that rainy, gloomy weather. Not just because of your colleagues, but because of your line of work. Imagine a workplace where you grab a cup of morning coffee and then go about to create amazing worlds no one has ever seen before. Imagine you spend the morning animating a dancing pink llama or a horde of zombies. Imagine a workplace where you can create lifelike digital humans, breathe life into extinct creatures and help create scenes and locations other people just dream of. This is the reality of VFX artists, the creative backbone of one of the most exciting industries in the world. Most VFX artists started their career as students and today we open the yellow brick road for the VFX artists of tomorrow, the VFX students. We asked around at some of the schools in Sweden if any of the students had some questions they wanted to ask us. And today we'll answer some of those questions. Hi everybody, I'm Nils Lagerin. This is Yellowbrick Road, your loyal friend in the podcast jungle. Yes, today we'll talk about how it is to work with visual effects. We asked students at VFX schools in Sweden to send us their questions and I have two colleagues from Goodbye Kansas here to help me answer some of them. So say hello to senior concept and character artist Jonas Törnqvist and department coordinator Adam Vadidris. Welcome guys. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to have you here. Uh, Jonas, you've been with us before here at Yellowbrick Road, but Adam, this is your first time. So let's start with a little introduction. Uh, how did you find your way into this wonderful business? Well, um, I studied compositing at Campus I-12 in uh, Eksjö between the years uh, 2016 to uh, 2018. So I have recently graduated and I'm uh, still kind of fresh to the VFX industry. Uh, but before that, I studied uh, at the Stockholm School of Photography and I freelanced for a couple of years as a photographer. So I come from an artist background, but here at Goodbye Kansas, I'm the coordinator for the wonderful facial department and I'm mm-hmm. working uh, closely to Jonas every day. That's nice. And now you come to, to visit me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive into the questions. Our first question comes from Campus I-12 in Eksjö, uh, David Morvakosi, and he writes... Goodbye Kansas has stated that you want to become the best leading VFX studio when it comes to CGI humans. As a VFX student, I'm keenly aware of the dreaded uncanny valley, and I would love to know how you guys manage to avoid it when it comes to the most difficult and recognizable thing to create in CG, a human being. Jonas, we discussed this in an episode about digital yeah, humans. I think so. uh, for those out there who hasn't heard about the expression uncanny valley, how would you describe it? Well, this is not only about VFX, obviously. No. This, uh, you can apply down Canada Valley to, to dolls, to robots, anything that resembles humans. The closer you get to a realistic human, the harder it is to 
to uh, fool the the human eye. We are so fine tuned in seeing small small things in in a in a human face, and as soon as they're missing, something looks wrong, uh, and it triggers an emotional response. You can feel that something is very wrong when you when you're looking at a digital character that. It's almost there, but not exactly. It's a lot easier when you're doing a, a, like a stylized human character. Mm. You know, the the eyelashes can be thicker in width, and no one would ever notice, and no one would care. Uh, but if you're doing a realistic human being, you know, everything from from the thickness of the eyelids, the wetness of the skin, everything needs to be spot on. And as soon as something is not you can notice. And the problem is also that you can you can spot that something is wrong, but it's hard to point out what exactly it is. I've been in this situation many times where you have a lot of really talented artists sitting in there looking at something and everyone can say it, something is wrong, something is off. Mm. But it's very hard to pinpoint what is wrong and what we need to fix. So that's, yeah, that's the uncanny well. And the closer you get to a photorealistic human face, the harder it gets and the more disturbing it can be to look at as well. So how do you avoid it? You, you said that it's very hard to find what is wrong. Yes, and if you're doing a, um, a digital human being, trying to acquire as much information as possible from the real world uh, through 3D scanning and, and that sort of thing mm. is the best way to go. But other than that, it's just having a lot of talented artists that's been doing this for, for a long time uh, and know what to look for, mm. um, that have been in this situation before and knows the pitfalls and what to avoid. Experience, basically, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, trying to look at it from a more scientific point of view, when we scan and we gather f- f- textures and that sort of thing, always being able to go back to reality and uh, and reference reality and try to find what's missing, what we need to add mm. to sort of break down Canyon Valley. Usually most foul eye. The mention was failed to be made that it's uncanny crew. Make my toes curl, they do. David uh, actually sent us another question on the same topic. He asked, I know that you have a really good motion capture studio in Sweden, and with that, that you breathe life into human characters. So animation is probably much easier. So my question is, what's the hardest part about nailing a CGI human? Other than the animation, yeah, I definitely say that the animation is the hardest part. Like he, like he says, mm. um, I think many studios around the world can make a, a turntable of a human face, a still human face, and make it look very believable, good enough to fool many uh, out there. But getting that to animate, especially facial animation, that's that's still the tricky part. Mm. Uh, but other than that, I say the fact that there's so many disciplines involved in creating a digital character. I think makes it really hard. You need to have groomers that can make hairstyles just as good as a, a hairdresser, and, and the texture artist needs to be makeup artist really, and, and 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 everything has to be spot on. As soon as one of these things fail, if the model fails, or if the texture fails, or shading and rendering, if any of these things fail, it breaks. Yeah. Uh, so I think. The hardest thing is making sure that you get top-notch results from all of these departments. That's sort of the key to making breaching down Canyon Valley. As soon as one of them don't deliver, then you know mm. you're back to square one, basically. So, so I assume that, that that the trickiest part is the face. So the rig of the face, animation rig, yes. must be crucial. Yeah, the, the animation rig for the face is, very, is is really crucial. I mean, I like to think of it as if you go back a couple of years when you created the neutral. The neutral is what we call the you know the face without any expressions on it. Mm. You know, you spend so much time on creating this neutral 
face. But in our facial rigs, we create 400. You know, it's 400 amounts the work of just creating a neutral because we need to create this face in these 400 different poses. Mm. And it doesn't matter if the neutral is perfect. If we can't get the lip corner puller shape to be perfect as well, the character won't be able to smile in a convincing way. Mm. And the rigging part is also a very sort of artistic and at the same time technical challenge. Uh, and I think that also makes it very hard. It's hard to find you know, people who can be very artistic but also very technical at the same time. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a conflicting uh, skill set. Kind have. of Leonardo da Vinci's. Yeah, a little them. bit, exactly. We, we <laughs> need to find Leonardo da Vinci's and they, they don't grow on, on trees, sadly. Mm. Yeah. But maybe there's some Leonardo da Vinci's waiting out in the VFX school. You want a job, Ernie? Sure, Tony. Okay, then you call me tomorrow. Hey, man, you got a job. Huh? Hey, Tony. Thanks. Is it becoming easier and easier to create digital humans? I mean, the, the tools you have are getting better. Yes, or? definitely it is. Um, just the fact that the hardware is, is getting better and better and software is getting better and better uh, helps a lot. And also things such as, you know, the 3D scanning and uh, performance capture and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's constantly getting better. There's a lot of focus on digital humans uh, and you can really start to tell because there's a lot more happening in, in, on the software side of things. If you go back a couple of years, there was very little outside of the big studios like Weta and ILM uh, when it comes to shape authoring and that sort of thing. Uh, but today it's possible to find off-the-shelf software that can you know, at least help you a little bit. It's still in its infancy. You know, you, I think in a couple of years there will be a lot more tools that will make this a lot easier than it is today. Yeah, and Goodbye Kansas pushes this Quite a lot. You, you have a, a 3D face scanner, body scanner, the yeah. performance capture. And do you also develop your own tools? Yes, we sort of have to do that. Yeah. Uh, since the tools that we want and really need in our productions, you can't find them open on the market, not, not yet anyway. No. Uh, so we spend a lot of time developing these uh, tools. Sometimes it's, it's just also to make sure that we can produce the, the volume of work that we need to do. Mm. It's less maybe um, artistic tools, but more like to make things more efficient. We still rely a lot of on really sort of talented modelers uh, to get the job done. Like I mentioned, all these 400 shapes that we need to edit. We, we want to make sure that we don't have to edit all of them uh, manually from scratch, but that we can, you know, maybe work on 20 of them and then just quickly go through the remaining 380, uh, for example. <laughs> Such volumes. Yes. <laughs> Airspeed. 380 knots and entering Kansas airspace. They are not responding to our hails. The, the next question is quite technical. What do you think about NVIDIA's new real-time ray tracing technology? Is Goodbye Kansas looking into it, or are you guys still waiting for it to be more fleshed out? If so, how long do you think until it's going to have a big impact on the VFX industry? I definitely think it's going to have a quite big uh, uh, implication. One thing that we are struggling with today a lot, like we talked about before, it's all about the subtle details uh, in the face that sort of sells it. And, mm -hmm. and at the moment, we really need to press render and, 
and wait. You know, we, we need to we need to judge what we what we've been working on with final lighting and shading and with all the hair and that sort of thing to really be able to tell if it's working or not. Mm. Um, and hopefully, over the years, the the representation in the viewport thing that what we see while we work is getting better and better. And hopefully, with this technology, we will be able to get a lot closer to the final result uh, while working in uh, in Maya, uh, for example. That's how, how I think it will affect me and the facial department, uh, just being able to see the end result while working. But then it's, of course, interesting for many other ways, um, being able, when you're doing performance capture as well, to be able to see something in real time on the day of the shoot uh, that looks very close to final rather than having these sort of uh, grey-shaded, very simple-looking models mm-hmm. uh, so the director on set can make more informed decisions. You know, sometimes you a performance, if you judge it with this sort of primitive shading, you won't spot a mistake or, or something until much later when you have a more final rendered. Mm. So yeah, I definitely think it's going to improve our lives a lot. Hey, fish stick, don't touch anything. I need to touch it to see. See what? Past, future. Whatever this object holds. Then we have a question from Marine Klaassen, also at Campus I-12. She asks about your time as students. She writes, do you have any funny, inspiring stories from when you were students? Ooh, so many good ones. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us. Well, my time at uh, Campus I-12 was definitely one of the best uh, years of my life and uh, we met a lot of inspiring new people we learned so much in such a very short amount of time and uh, one of my favorites are actually during our first semester uh, we had an effects jam over the course of a weekend Hmm. so it's basically a boot camp in our school where we simulated being a VFX company over the course of a weekend, starting on Friday after class around 6 p.m. and then going on until midnight on uh, Sunday. So we made small teams the days leading up to this. So we were sort of prepared, sort of (laughs) prepared. Sorta <laughs> prepared, uh, which consisted of uh, four people total with uh, two 3D artists and two 2D artists. And then we were given a short brief to what our proposed client wanted, uh, and we immediately went into pre production. So this involved like open sky brainstorming, we went storyboarding, uh, we gave each other responsibilities, we set up internal milestones, estimated bid for production days, and structured who's doing what and planned deadlines, basically. And then we went into production and just... Was this a success? (laughs) It was was definitely a success, just from the point of view of learning. (laughs) Um, We had no idea what we were doing, basically. But we managed to pull through, uh, and it was a very, very fun experience. We were in school almost all wake hours, and Mm. after the clock had struck midnight on the Sunday, we gathered everyone's final work, and we looked at it together at the big screen in school. 
And uh, this was insanely fun. We learned so much just by being put under pressure. And there were definitely a lot of pressures since we, we had no idea how to solve no. these problems. So we basically had to reinvent the wheel every time. We had only been in school about four months at this point. So we had to kind of wing it as we went on. To this day, it's one of my best experiences from my uh, uni days. Definitely. And then when you started working with VFX, have you had days that felt the same? Kind of this, this pressure, the time limit? Oh yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. It's different though. I would say the pressure is both bigger and smaller since you get help around you, but you also have to perform in a different way and you have money is on the line. You need to hit the deadline or else... Uh, you might not get hired again. And like I experienced that when I was freelancing for a bit uh, this autumn. I managed to pull through, but it was definitely a stressful week where I had a lot of work being put on me and expected to be delivered. And I delivered. (laughs) (laughs) Because as Jonas, when you spoke about when you're sitting there in dailies judging digital humans, uh, you talk with each other, it is very much a teamwork, all this business. And you're kind of extra helpful, aren't you, to each other? Yeah, sharing is very important. Like I mentioned before, there's so many different uh, departments that Mm. all need to bring their A-game basically for it to work. And so it's very important that you don't blame other departments when things are not working, but you have to really look at what you can do to help other departments try to solve everything together as a team. Mm. Um, I've been to many bigger companies as well. Very easily can be like uh, the modeling department is blaming the look dev department for the turntable that they're looking at in dailies. Mm. Look, the department is blaming models and saying it's your fault that it doesn't look correct. I think in companies where that are successful, you look at it and you solve it together. You, mm. It's less about blaming, it's more about what can I do to help you know, other people, other departments yeah. um, solving this problem. Do you always agree on what methodology to use? Do you disagree sometimes and have to fight? There's a lot of disagreement and usually there are many ways to solve Mm. a problem. And and we don't have a Bible on how we're going to solve all these things. You know, it's still a pretty young industry, you know, Mm. and and there are a lot of, you know, arguments. uh, But usually that can be helpful. You know, it's good to hear how someone else want to solve the problem and compare it to your solution. And usually maybe the the best way is a mix as well. Will it blend? That is the question. Marinho also wonders, how big was the difference for you between studying and working in the actual industry? Do you have any tips on how to bridge that gap? Well, I experienced both big and small gaps when I got into the industry. It sort of depends on which company you end up working with and how big a leap that is going to be for you. Uh, But either way you go, when you graduate or when you do your internship, they expect you to be a junior and that you are on a junior level. Uh, I personally had a sort of a hard time with this since I put a lot of high expectations on myself. And as an intern, I really wanted to prove myself to my supervisor. But of course, it came to a point where I struggled and I didn't have the solution to uh, the shot or the problem that I was working on. And that made me 
feel bad. And like, I felt like I was crawling to the cross when I went to my supervisor <laughs> and said, I need help with this. I don't know how to solve it. Mm. Uh, but fortunately, the response was, okay, yeah. we'll, we'll give it to someone else. It's not a problem. So I sort of had to give myself a little break. <laughs> I still think that you should be ambitious and set the bar high for your performance, but don't expect to know everything because I'm, I'm going to tell you, you really don't, especially as a junior, you don't know that much. No. And that's one of the best things about this industry that I, you're always going to learn something new. Every day is different and you learn all the time. Definitely. Every day it's a getting closer, going faster than a roller coaster. Love like yours will surely come my way. The next question is also about taking that step from school uh, into the business, or more exactly about seeking internship. One student writes, do you have any tips on how to make a good reel? What do you look for when you look for interns and what kind of reel do you prefer? Well, I can speak mainly for the compositing reels since I have worked on one and I've looked at many show reels. Mm. And I have three main points. It sort of helped me out a lot. And it's an advice that I would give to anyone else working on the show. It's just start working early and ask people for constructive criticism. And sometimes you really have to kill your darlings. All of these points are going to hurt you a little in different ways, but you're going to come out of it stronger. So you have to start early because you need to put in the hours since the industry has a very high level of quality. Mm. You need to ask for criticism because this is not a one-man or woman show. And the sooner you ask for criticism, the more you are going to develop. And when it comes to killing your darlings, if some assets that you work on or if some shots doesn't work in your showreel as a whole compared to the other shots, one weak shot can be the turning point of a supervisor or recruiter closing your showreel and moving on to the next So always put your best work forward. Don't add any filler shots because I wanted to show how to make a roto. If you don't want to do that, then don't have it in your showreel. And then I guess that the duration of the reel isn't that important either. Definitely. Keep it short and snappy. About a minute long. Yeah, I also think that it's, it's better to have a, something very sh- very short and snappy. And then we can ask for more if we, we want to. Um, yeah. But otherwise, for me, it's also, especially since you've been working on these big productions, either you specify very clearly exactly what you've been working on. Because mm. sometimes, you know, you see these very nice looking shots, but you know that there's been hundreds of people working on them. Mm. Uh, and it's, And if you don't specify very clearly exactly what you've done, it's hard to judge. And it's also hard to realize, you know, what can you achieve at Goodbye Kansas, for example, when you might not have the same infrastructure where, like on the other place that you worked on. And also having some um, behind-the-scenes stuff, so something showing exactly what you worked on that might not be final rendered if you're a modeler, for example, but shows more of your modeling skills. Uh. <clears throat> Show me what you got! Show me what you got. I want to see what you got. Oh boy, time to go, Morty. Several of the students have asked about what you guys do when you're not working. Uh, I guess they wonder if you're doing the effects and CG stuff on your free time as well. <laughs> um, 
back in the days. I'm old now, uh, but <laughs> but back in the days, I, I always did a, a lot of uh, personal work, private projects uh, with friends and alone. Um, and I think that was very important for me uh, back then, also because I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to work with. And, and when you have a private project, you can decide exactly what you want to do and, and show off your skills uh, in the way that you want to. While in production, you might have, you know, not have enough time or the project that you're working on is not really exactly what you want to work on, uh, mm. for example. But nowadays, you know, with family and house and all that, you, there's almost no time at all left for, for personal work. I, I still try, though, to spend an hour or two a week trying to model something at home. Because I think it's, I do think it's important. In some ways, we're all artists, you know, we, we have our own artistic vision and we, we want to do our own stuff uh, as well. And I think it's important not, not to lose that. Uh, no, to keep the passion for the craft. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, it's important to not bring work back home. Make sure that what you're working on at home is something that you feel a strong passion for and, mm -hmm. and it shouldn't feel like a, a chore. It should be fun to work on your private stuff. Yeah. Are you, Adam? Yeah, I completely agree with Jonas. And uh, going back to what I just said about putting in the hours, I am a strong advocator of not bringing your work back home with you. Uh, and this can be uh, extremely hard during your student days when you want to learn as much as possible and you want to absorb all the knowledge that is out there. And, and you should. It's a really good thing to do. You should develop. But... Uh, As you start working, of course, there are going to be crunch times and stressful days where you have to do some overtime. But as a freelancer or an employee, you have a set amount of days that you can spend working on an asset or a shot. And for me as a coordinator, it's my job to make sure that the planning that has been set by the producer is being followed. So leave work at work, otherwise you can get burned out pretty quickly. Hmm. And the passion will die with that. <laughs> yeah. yes. A man should have a hobby. Well, it's, it's... It's more than a hobby. A hobby is supposed to pass the time, not fill it. Is it important to do other things than digital things when you're not working? For me, it's very important to um, exercise and, and do things like that outside mm. of work. Uh, since we sit so much time, you know, sit still in front of a computer, being outside and, and, and moving around using your body, I think is incredibly important. Otherwise, mm. uh, I think you're not going to last long in this industry, sadly. You get problems with your back or, or, or something else relatively quickly. Or, did you mean more like traditional uh, sculpting? And, yeah, uh, for example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and definitely. I mean, I was better at this uh, before, but I think it's very important that you have a strong traditional background. And mm. you don't have to be the best painter or, or the best clay sculptor in the world, but just practicing it and, and, and having some experience in doing that has helped me a lot. It's so much easier to um, do a print screen of um, a model that you have in Maya and then do some quick paint overs uh, on top of it. And I mm. couldn't do that if I didn't have the, you know, the traditional uh, sketch and, 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 and drawing uh, experience that I have. Mm. Uh, and even though I don't work much in, in clay nowadays, it still helps me. Just the feeling of the clay. And um, yeah, it's, it sort of helps me in my digital sculpting. I don't think 
it's absolutely necessary nowadays because the tools are so good. But I think it's definitely a way to improve your um, like sculpting skills to practice traditional. Mm. And also photography, especially if you're in, into look deving and, and rendering, photography is very, uh, very helpful. Mm. And very fun. And very fun. Yeah, as well. very fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to draw a parallel to... Uh, making music as well since this is a creative industry and uh, if you're writing music for example you can't write good pop music just by simply listening to only pop music you have to throw in some uh, heavy metal or some reggae or stuff in the mix to uh, get some other influences and that will make it grow it's mm. i think it's healthy healthy to cross pollinate any type of creative work but will it blend That is the question. Good has, has a company culture where artists are encouraged to have activities going on after office hours, sometimes at the studio. Uh, and in, uh, at Good Vacances in Stockholm, for example, there's a frisbee golf club, there's a cinema club, board game nights. Are you participating in any of those activities? I haven't had time to participate in all of them yet, but I plan to. I'm going to actually play some uh, role-playing Some RPGs uh, next Tuesday. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Which one is your favorite of the activities here? Well, since I haven't tried all of them yet, I can only take one example. And that is one of the uh, Tuesday nights here that uh, we had a Magic the Gathering draft. We stayed at the office uh, after hours. We got some dinner and uh, we had planned this uh, in a week in advance. Mm. And we had bought a box of Magic cards. And I've been playing Magic since I was like 13 or something. <laughs> um, and I've been playing a lot at uh, events around, uh, mostly around Sweden. So I knew how to do more uh, competitive type of events. Mm. So I helped organize a draft where we set up eight players. And uh, it's, it's a trading card game for those who don't know. Where you take the cards and you build a deck from nothing and then you play each other and then there's uh, ladders and playoffs and uh, there's a winner at the end of the day it was me by the way <laughs> <laughs> of course it was <laughs> yeah but we had some people coming over from uh, other companies here as well we had uh, some coming over from ILP we had people from Swiss as well and the chimney will they did not attend this time but they will come in the future it's a whole it's, it's a big family in it's Stockholm. a very big family all yeah we're all friends here I'm a nerd and uh, I'm pretty proud of it I'm a nerd too I just found that out tonight we have news for the beautiful people there's a lot more of us in our view Whether you think you're a nerd or not, why don't you just come down here and join us, okay? okay. Come, on. come on. The VFX business is a very international business. Uh, many of the artists at Goodbye Kansas have previously worked at large studios around the world, uh, either before they started Goodbye Kansas, or in some cases they just took a year off from Goodbye Kansas and did a year in, for example, New Zealand or Canada, in one of the big VFX studios. Uh, is it important to get international experience? You have, for example, Jonas. Yes, I mean, I think it's very important. You were at Veta. Yeah, I've been at Veta and, and the Frame Store in London, and and I think it's it's a great experience, especially when you when you're younger, younger and not like tied up. Um, yeah. But different studios solve 
the problems in different ways. Also something that I, I look at when I look at a, um, a CV, for example, see that people have had some experience at different uh, studios. Because mm. usually that means that you can adopt uh, to the studio where you are starting now, like Goop by Kansas, you can adopt a lot easier. So for me, it's been crucial, I'd say. Yeah. You, Adam? I think that any experience is good experience. Uh, Sweden is such a small country and uh, it's been growing so rapidly just the past few years. The industry. Yeah, exactly. And that is partly because people have been abroad and been working on these international companies and then they bring their experiences with them back home. Mm. And I think that's really, really good. I was at Pixamondo for a short while and I learned a lot during that time. In Germany? Yeah, in Frankfurt. And drank beer. (laughs) Lots of it. (laughs) Disclaimer, don't drink beer. <laughs> Limited time offer, no purchase necessary. Offer valid at participating locations, void where prohibited. No animals were harmed during the production of this soundboard. Subject to change without notice. Side effects include dry mouth, occasional pig snort or two, sore stomach, teary eyes, achy jaws, and whatever tingles well, laughing hard. So, last but not least, if you would give just one piece of advice for the VFX students listening to this podcast, what would that be? I'm going to give five tips. <laughs> <laughs> so it's start putting in the hours early and develop your skills. Uh, Look at other artistic crafts such as painting, sculpting, or photography because they are all very, very useful to know. But also look at your social skills. Learn how to be a team player and learn how to communicate. Make a lot of mistakes and learn from them. Because, my friends, diamonds are built under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> what a great quote. I must use that. Yeah, I agree with all of those. And but for me, I started out very sort of uh, being a generalist. And I think that's also a very good way to approach this, especially if you're not sure exactly what you want to be working on. Working with like environments, characters, sculpting, texturing, I did everything in the beginning. And then over time, I started to specialize. Uh, I think it's good to... To specialize, like becoming a character artist or becoming an environment artist, I think it's good to find that out sooner rather than later. Because it's you can't be a master of everything; you have mm. to sort of choose a direction pretty early. But I think it's it's good at least the first couple of years to try a bit of everything. Because I think even though you specialize later on, you will have you know having that experience, being you know knowing what. It means to be like an FX uh, artist or a texture artist, even though you're not texturing. It's it's, it's very useful and it, and it helps you in, once again, helping others and becoming a team and solving the problems together. Hmm. Good advice from both of you. Many thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you listeners, thanks for hanging out with us again. Uh, clips from some of the things we discussed can, as usual, be found on our website, goodbycancerstudios.com. Next week, we'll talk about a guy in green tights. He loves to steal from the rich, to give to the poor, and he's pretty good with a bow and arrow. Yes, I'm talking about Robin Hood. Join us as we retrace his merry cinematic history. Until next time, goodbye, à bientôt, auf Wiederhören, wie hörsch.